You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast, a special Memorial Day edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and I am back with part two of our series within a series, highlighting some of the key defensive adjustments Kirby Smart and staff have made since taking over in Athens as part of our scheme theme month. And let me just start by saying happy Memorial Day to everyone out there. Hope everyone's having a great time, staying safe, having fun, enjoying time with the family. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to get an episode done today. I really wasn't sure, but here I am, made it happen. I'm actually at my in-law's lake house right now trying to trying to work through some Wi-Fi issues out here in the country as I surreptitiously sit here trying to record this episode on my bed. I'm probably almost certainly getting myself into trouble here doing this, but for you guys to have some Memorial Day content, it's a small price to pay, right? But as for the show today, we are going to do some more scheme theme talk today. Last week in our scheme theme episode, I went in-depth with the mint front that Kirby has settled on as his answer to successfully defend the run with an odd front in our nickel package to basically be able to defend the run against spread teams and also stay structurally sound against the pass as well. Uh, And that's become one of the primary reasons why we have been better really than anyone in the country over at least the past couple years stopping the run. But today I want to move on in this series within a series, and I want to highlight an adjustment that while less technically complex than the mint front and all of its layers, this adjustment has been just as important in the long run. And that is how Kirby and staff, I'm saying Kirby and staff, it's not just Kirby Smart, it's it's the entire defense of staff that are part of this. I think I would say that Kirby still spearheads that, even though Danny Lanning is our coordinator. He's obviously heavily involved in it as well, but Kirby's still crazy involved in our defense. But it's how Kirby and staff have adjusted their coverage schemes and tendencies inside the red zone. And I say it's just as important as what we went over last week with our mint front because our red zone defense, guys, I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to say that it probably cost us a national championship and it 1 million percent cost us, at the very least, a second straight SEC championship and a second straight playoff berth back in 2018 with that loss to Alabama, the game that we, I don't know if blue is the right word, but close enough, right? Uh, and, And let me explain what I'm talking about here. For most of his career as a defensive coordinator or head coach, 
slash defense coordinator who's still intimately involved with what we do on defense, Kirby Smart has been a pretty heavy press man coverage guy or, or a pattern pattern match guy if we're running zone. Like we've been a- and he's been able to do that, get away with press man, whether it's cover one or or two man, because he's had the dudes outside at cornerback to be able to do that. And when going zone, he's largely used three match which is a version of cover three where, yeah, we have three deep defenders, but rather than just dropping to a spot and sticking there, like you would think like you do in traditional old school zone defense, like where you have a guy where if you're a a zone defender, you're told, okay, you drop to the curl, you drop to the flat, you drop to the deep half, whatever it might be. So instead of just dropping to that spot and sticking there in in a pattern match scheme in three match, what you do is, the, as a zone defender, you do still drop to a zone, but you play any wide receiver or any offensive player that comes into that zone like it's man coverage. It's basically a combo coverage. It's kind of zone, kind of man. It's If you're more familiar with basketball, like it's the exact same concept as matchup zone in basketball. That's It's the football version of matchup zone. That's what it is. But anyway, for a long time, when offenses would get into the red zone, Kirby would tend to play a lot of man free, which kind of goes hand in hand with what he had done from a tendency standpoint, really all over the field. And he, a lot of times he'd want to dial up pressure and, and try to make throw windows tight with those guys playing that press man coverage, that tight coverage out there on the outside. And again, he usually had outstanding co- co- cornerbacks that would allow him to be able to do that defensively. But things have changed over the years. We've talked a lot throughout this scheme theme month, how how things have evolved. I've kind of tried my best, at least in some way, to chart the evolution of, of offensive football and what the defensive responses have been to those things over the past couple episodes. But one of the big evolutions we've seen over the past decade plus now is the proliferation of the dual threat quarterback. Those guys used to be the exception. Now they're very much the rule. No, not everybody is a true dual threat quarterback, but there's far more of those guys than we ever would have imagined would have been the case even just like 10 years ago. But that proliferation of the the dual threat quarterback, what that's done in essence is it's made playing man coverage in the red zone basically untenable, at least doing that exclusively like we had done for a long time. Like playing man free, which is where you've got one safety in the middle of the field, like a single high safety kind of roaming in the middle of the field, watching the quarterback's eyes. Everyone else is playing man coverage. Playing that, especially in the red zone, really began to become a problem against all these dual threat quarterbacks because when you are in man, you are typically as a defender, when you're in coverage, you are turning your back to the quarterback to chase after or at least stay in phase with a wide receiver that you are assigned to cover wherever you are in the field. And when that happens and no one is turning and actually looking at the quarterback to even see if he does take off, he absolutely can just very easily take off, run, pick up a chunk of yards, give the offense a new set of downs, and just make life very difficult for defenses where you are where you might have the perfect coverage on, but when you're in that man coverage and quarterback sees open grass, everybody's back's turned to me and no one's looking at him, he'll just take off and you're just not right. Even though you have the perfect coverage called for whatever play the offense called, that dual threat quarterback can make you wrong. A guy like Tua Tungavailoa or Jalen Hurts Alabama, those guys can just make you wrong even if you have the perfect coverage called, which is exactly what happened to us in that national title game with Tua once he came in in the second half, and then again in the 2018 SEC Championship game with this time when Jalen Hurts came off the bench late in the second half. Now, like 
guys, I believe this. I truly do. You can, you can say I'm crazy, and I'm sure there's, obviously there are other factors involved as well, of course. Nothing happens in a vacuum. But I believe we would have won both of those games, the national title against Alabama and the 2018 SC Championship, if we could have just come up with one fourth quarter red zone stand in each of those games. And in the SEC title game in 2018, there were two fourth quarter red zone possessions where Jalen Hurts was able to put together touchdown drives, and we just we couldn't hold him. We couldn't hold him to a field goal try. We just couldn't do it. And look, I'm, I'm, and that's what I'm talking about because I'm not even talking about just keeping Bama from scoring at all. I'm talking about just holding them to three, forcing a field goal attempt in the red zone. That is a win for the defense once you're in the red zone, just to hold them to three. If we do that with under four minutes to play the national title game, it never gets to overtime. You know, we force one one field goal attempt, just one field goal attempt on one of those fourth quarter red zone possessions in that 2018 SEC title game when Jalen Hurts came over and came in and took over. We win that game and we go to the playoffs. And think about the narrative surrounding the University of Georgia's football team right now and what it could have been if we would have just gotten a red zone stop, one red zone stop, forced one field goal in each of those games. The entire narrative surrounding our program would be entirely different. Obviously, like we're still seen as one of the nation's elites, but we're nationally, for the most part, seen as a team that's been really, 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 really good, knocking on the door, but can't break through. That narrative would have been done. You'd never hear 1980 ever again if we could have just gotten a red zone stop back in that, I guess, the 2018 national title game. But history says that didn't happen. In both those games, not only could we not get those stops in the red zone, not only did we give up crucial late touchdowns that surrendered leads that we'd had basically the entire game, really from almost start to finish in both of those games with the very last second, but it was the scrambling ability of dual threat quarterbacks that did it to us. We turned our backs to the quarterback and man coverage on crucial plays and they took off and they picked up first downs. They broke down our coverage or they ran it in themselves. Just brutal, brutal stuff. It was brutal to watch, brutal to live through. And it's brutal to think about, man. It really is. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Uh, think about this, guys. Those of you who have ever played NCAA football or Madden, especially like what was it, Madden 04 with Michael Vick? Was that the one with Vick on the cover? 04, 05? You guys know what I'm talking about. If you ever played any of those games, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. Pick a team with a dual threat quarterback or build your dynasty with Georgia or whoever you're building it with. Recruit you a dual threat quarterback or play with Michael Vick and Madden. And when a team tries to play you a man coverage, 
what do you do? You just you just call a Hail Mary, and then you let the defenders chase your guys down the field if they're in man coverage. You let them chase, chase them down the field, and then you take off and pick up 20-plus yards. Like It's like a cheat play. It, ha- it works every time, like a charm, every single time. And, and sure, there are obviously things that you can do defensively to guard against that, even if you are in man coverage. You can mirror or spy the quarterback. You can try to flush him and have the mirror player ch- chase him down. But you're relying on whoever you're using to spy the quarterback you're relying on him to be as good of an athlete as the quarterback himself. And that's not always the case, depending on who you assign to spy or mirror the quarterback. Because if that dual threat quarterback can escape or out-athlete that one spy against man coverage, and a lot of times, chances are they can, then good luck. Good luck, because he's going to pick up a chunk of yards, keep the chains moving, and just kill you. Just absolutely demoralize your defense. So when you lose games of that magnitude like a national title game and then an SEC title game with the playoff berth on the line, when you lose games of that magnitude with those kind of stakes, largely because of red zone failures, and then on top of that, both of those red zone situations being strongly associated with dual threat quarterbacks, well, of course, it's going to cause you to reassess, or at least it should. If it doesn't cause you to reassess, then you need to reassess why you're even out there coaching. You need to reassess your career choices because that's just not how this works. And if you remember back to the 2018 season, think back, guys. I know it was a couple years ago, but think back to that, as painful as it might be, the SEC Championship game, that was not the first or even or the only time that we had issues with red zone defense. That was kind of a theme throughout that season. We were borderline, like I would say borderline abysmal in the red zone that year. We made it way too easy on opponents once they got in the red zone. And honestly, in 2018, we just simply weren't good enough on defense in general, but the red zone, that was the big, big issue back in 2018. Uh, we were 107th in red zone scoring percentage. When opponents got in the red zone, they were scoring 89% of the time, whether it was a field goal or a touchdown. What I think is a more important stat when you're talking about your red zone defense is your touchdown percentage. Because, like, again, if they're in the red zone, let's say the offense turns it over inside the red zone, right? They, they, let's say they turn over on your own 14-yard line. Well, that's not the defense's fault, but the ball is it's still a red zone possession. It's inside the red zone. All the defense can do there, really, realistically, is to try to force a field goal attempt. So, to me, red zone touchdown percentage, that's more of a a more in-depth, accurate gauge of how good you are in the red zone. And we were better in our touchdown percentage in 2018 than we were in our red zone or our overall red zone scoring percentage, but still not anywhere near where Georgia needs to be. We were 43rd nationally in red zone touchdown percentage, giving up touchdowns 57% of the time that our opponents were in the red zone. Much better than our 107th ranked red zone scoring percentage defense, but still far, far too high for what our standards are. And we, we, look, we're going to give up yards. Like when you play Clemson's, when you play Alabama, when hopefully at some point you play Ohio State or when you play Oklahoma like we did in the Rose Bowl, when you play offenses like that, you're going to give up yards, guys. Offenses are too advanced. They're too good. They're too skilled these days to stop them completely. We know that. We've talked all off all offseason, all last season about how important offenses become. You're going to give up yards to good teams. It's going to happen. So red zone stops can be the difference between winning and losing. You can give up all the yards you want between the 20s, but if you can really bow your neck and be elite inside the 20s in the red zone, then you can win a lot of these games. I mean, go I'll, another game I've been watching recently, preparing for our, um, the start of our Sky and the Enemy series, which we love to do every offseason. We'll be starting that here in a couple of weeks. I've been watching Clemson for over a month now, and I've, I've gotten all the way through every one of their games throughout the uh, 2020 season. I'm on the, I just finished watching the Notre Dame-Clemson ACC title game, the rematch. 
And I know the final, I think the final score was a 34-10, something like that. I mean, it was a lopsided victory for Clemson, whatever the final score was. And it looked like Notre Dame was just completely blown out. They had no chance. And I guess the final score would indicate that. But if you actually watch the game, especially in the first half, the first quarter, Notre Dame had plenty of chances. They got in the red zone a couple times to start that game, and they just couldn't convert. They were they were forced to kick a field goal, and their first, I guess they didn't quite get in the red zone. I think it was like a 51-yarder. But still, they were driving the ball enough. But Clemson bowed their neck late in that drive and forced a field goal attempt. They forced a field goal attempt, I think, on the second Notre Dame drive in that game as well. But Notre Dame missed it. It was like a chip shot. It was like a 36, 37-yard field goal. They missed that completely. Uh, Notre Dame was the fourth down on about their – it was, again, not quite red zone, but it was like on the 25, 28-yard line, something like that, on the fourth down, and uh, they they went they went for it. And Ian Book rolls out, hits his receiver. Guy just drops the ball. It wasn't the, the best pass, but he drops the ball. Clemson just kind of – they stepped up in the red zone, and Notre Dame was not able to capitalize. Therefore, the final score looked worse than like it really actually was through at least the – first part of that game. Could have been an entirely different game if Notre Dame would have capitalized and got seven once they got in the red zone or close to the red zone. But they didn't. Clemson bowed up. And margins are that small between the top teams in the country that when you're in the red zone, if you're can, if you the offense and you can score touchdowns, you can get seven instead of having to kick field goals in the red zone, that could be the difference between winning and losing. Or if you're the, the defense, if you can force the opponent to kick field goals instead of getting seven in the red zone, that can be the difference between winning and losing when you have two top teams in the country facing off against each other. I mean, seriously, guys, I, I firmly believe this. One red zone stop in those big games, that can be the difference between winning or losing. It can be the difference between an SEC championship or even a national championship. We have seen that. So Kirby knew this, right? If, if, I'm, if I know these things, then trust me, Kirby's far smarter than I am, especially when it comes to football. He knew this, and he knew this had to be addressed after that 2018 season. As much as it hurt us to see what happened in that SEC title game in, in 2018, you know it hurt Kirby and our staff more than it even hurt us. So he, they knew this had to be addressed. I mean, you can't keep doing the same thing because it's not working. It's consi- and it was again. It wasn't just that game. It was all season 2018. So Kirby and staff they went to work, man. They went to work figuring out how to address this issue. First, they identified the issue. They knew it was a problem. Then you got to figure out how to address it. And uh, what they realized is, as I've laid out here, is that they were getting burned far too often playing man coverage against these dual threat quarterbacks. So. What's the obvious solution there if man coverage isn't working in the red zone? What's the obvious solution here? Oh, I don't know. Play more zone, right? It just kind of makes sense. It's common sense there. But let's get more specific than that than just saying, oh yeah, play zone. There's lots of different kinds of zone coverage. So what are we talking about here? What kind of zone defense precisely did we turn to? Well, what our coaching staff, our defensive coaching staff settled on going into the 2019 season to address this issue was a coverage I'm sure most of you have heard of before, especially if you watch the NFL. Uh, it rose to fame with Tony Dungy, I guess Tampa Bay, and eventually the uh, Indianapolis Colts. The Tampa 2, you guys know what I'm talking about. Like I know you've all heard commentators throw that name out there, Tampa 2, right? But you, I don't know if you've actually had any of those commentators really explain what the Tampa 2 is. It's, I think it's one of those things like, yeah, we all know, yeah, Tampa 2, Tampa 2, but like, what exactly is the Tampa 2? Um, and, and like there's certainly like like most zone defenses, there's different variations of it. Different teams do it differently, but the version that we begin to implement, uh, particularly in the red zone, which is really where we use this coverage, was it was essentially a drop eight zone coverage where the middle linebacker. This is the this is like the defining characteristic of the of the Tampa two. The middle linebacker drops to that deep third of the field at the snap. So even though it's called like a cover two, it's Tampa two. The the two refers to the two safeties are taking halves of the field, right? Well, the big weakness 
in a cover two is the middle of the field, right? Because that there's a vacant, there's an there's a vacancy, there's an opening, right? If the two uh, safeties are taken, each taking half of the field, where you can split them up the seam. And teams that ran cover two were getting exploited by that. So what did Tony Dungy and and his staff do at Tampa Bay? Well, they implemented the Tampa two, which is you know what we're going to take away that seam route. We're going to just send the middle linebacker straight down the middle of the field, and it basically functions almost like a cover three. Like, honestly, I know it's called Tampa two, but to me, it, like it's much more in the cover three family than cover two, if you're asking me. And so, if it's a drop eight defense, we have eleven players on the field, so we have dropping eight into coverage, which means we have three guys most of the time. Again, we do different things in, in in different spots, but generally speaking, we only rush three defenders out of this coverage. We only send three guys after the quarterback, and they're really not trying to actively like rush the quarterback like you think of. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So, how did this help us with our red zone issue? Why did we go to Tampa too? Like, what? Why, why that? Well, I've always been an advocate of zone defense in the red zone in general, specifically when you get inside the 10 yard line. And the reason for that is when you get that deep on the field, the field is condensed. There's just not as much space that the defense has to cover. The windows to throw the ball that you had to throw the ball into get really tight because the defenders. They're just not spread out as much, given that there's just not as much field to cover because you're in the final 20 yards of the field, right? So just on that principle alone, I've always liked zone defense inside the red zone. Again, you can't you can't do anything like that. Just that's the only coverage you run. But more often than not, I've always kind of leaned that direction in terms of what coverage to run when you're in the red zone. And then on top of that, like playing zone defense in the red zone also helps us out with that very specific issue of defending dual threat quarterbacks who just take off and scramble when we're turning our backs and and playing man coverage. In zone coverage, the defenders aren't turning their back to the quarterback. They're oftentimes looking directly at him because they're reading him to see where he's going with the ball, got to break on the ball, those kind of things. So if the quarterback takes off, now that your eyes are on him and you're facing, at least facing that direction, you see that and you react to it and then you go make the play. It's just nice, easy for the quarterback to take off and scramble and hurt you that way and pick up those extra yards, those hidden yards, if you want to call them that. And if you're playing Tampa 2 specifically and you're rushing 3 and dropping into coverage, it makes it very, very difficult for quarterbacks to make plays with their legs, especially when you use your three defenders rushing the passer more so to contain him in the pocket. I guess technically, yeah, they're rushing the passer, but really their job or anything is to contain him. Sometimes we'll, and we sometimes will run a, a, a scheme where those three pass rushers will kind of crash the middle, try to flush him out of the pocket, take away the, the, the middle of the pocket and to flush him out. And then you have your spy or mirror guy just chase him down and and make the play. That's the, that's one of the little adjustments that we've also added on to this over time as well. But if you can use those three pass rushers to contain the quarterback in the pocket, then what you do is you force him 
to fit the ball into extraordinary, extraordinarily tight windows from that pocket. Now, we went with Tampa 2 as the zone coverage of choice in the red zone in 2019, like coming out of that 2018 year where we were so bad in the red zone, because it takes away that middle hole that is typically a liability, again, like I said, in the, in the true old school cover two. And you can do that without really sacrificing anything underneath because, yeah, when you when you drop eight into coverage, you can send that middle linebacker into the deep middle third and you still have five underneath zone defenders. You basically have three deep and five underneath. And, and the results were as stark as they were immediate. It worked, guys. It flat out worked. We went from 107th in red zone scoring percentage in 2018 to 14th in 2019. We dropped our uh, percentage from 89%, uh, allowing teams to score 89% of the time that they got in the red zone to 74% of the time in one year. We went from 43rd nationally in red zone touchdown percentage to 13th nationally in red zone touchdown percentage, going from 57% to 48%. That does not happen by accident. You do not just luck into that kind of improvement. That's not how that happens. It happens by first recognizing the deficiency, then researching ways to address that deficiency, and then implementing adjustments just like we did with the Tampa 2 in the red zone. So please, again, get out of here with this Kirby Smart can't coach. He's just a he's just a recruiter. BS. Get that get out of here with that stuff. No, the guy isn't perfect. Every call he makes isn't the right call. He makes mistakes. He deserves criticism at times. And he recognizes that, which you have to do if you're going to keep pace with offensive evolution. To get better, you got to recognize where your weaknesses and deficiencies are. And I think Kirby Smart's done a good job of that over the past couple of years. You have to adapt. You have, and you have to be able to scheme it up and call it. And Kirby does, he does all that as well as any defensive coach out there. And he has for a long time. And for whatever reason, there's narratives out there that just don't give him credit for that. But anyone, to me, anyone who suggests differently that he's just a recruiter and can't coach, they just don't really understand what they're watching. And I'm not saying that as an insult. I'm just saying like, I just don't think, I truly don't think they understand what they're watching. Because if they did, they would understand, first off, just how good Kirby has been as a defensive coach for a long time. And also, because forever it's like, well, he's a Nick Saban shadow, right? With Saban's defense. It's not Kirby's defense. He's just doing what Nick Saban wants. I mean, he's just a Saban puppet. But now this is Kirby's thing, right? And just to see the adjustments, I've highlighted some of them for you over the past week or so. Some of the adjustments he's made defensively to keep pace and to combat this offensive evolution have been incredibly successful. And other teams are emulating a lot of things that we do. Like no one, like I guess in the last episode, like there's very little that's just brand new. People just, they take an existing idea and they put a little spin on it, right? And Kirby's done that, sure, to a degree, but to a large degree, but that's adaptability. And to me, that's coaching. That's what coaching is. It's not just come up with brand new schemes out of thin air, like you're not necessarily inventing things, you're innovating. And I think that's what Kirby Smart has done a really good job with. And just, and just to make sure we all understand this, we don't run Tampa 2 exclusively. We don't really, like we don't run any coverage or any front or any pressure exclusively. But that was definitely the big adjustments that we made going into the 2019 season to address those red zone deficiencies. And it has clearly had an overwhelming, this in 2019, had an overwhelmingly positive impact on our defense. And look, guys, it's a cat and mouse game. Kirby's adjusted to what offenses are doing to attack us. They adjust to what we're doing to attack them. Kirby's going to have to adjust again. But I just wanted to highlight what we did to change how we defended in the red zones, especially from a coverage standpoint from 2018 to 2019, even moving forward now. Because number one, I think 
those deficiencies cost us national title and cost us another SEC title in 2018, another playoff bid, and another potential shot at national title. Although I'm not sure if our defense was good enough to actually get us there in 2018. It, it cost us. It cost us. And I also think it's something that gives us a really great look, a lot of insight into Number one, just how good of a defensive coach Kirby Smart is. Not just a recruiter, but a defensive coach. And how he goes about adjusting to attack how offenses have evolved over the years. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I know it's kind of quick here. I'm going to have to get out of here. I can't believe I've been able to make it this long. I'm waiting for my wife to come barging in here any moment, wondering what in the world I'm doing and why I'm not out there with the family. So I was able to sneak away for about half an hour or so. A little bonus episode for you guys today. I want to, I want to give you a little bit of content today, a little bit of something. Because I, I always know, for me personally, it's always been frustrating to me Like on holidays. like There's not new content out there to listen to because people are taking time off, enjoying time with their family, as they should. I totally get it. But for those of you who wanted some Memorial Day Georgia football content, I want to make sure you guys were covered. So again, hope everyone's having a very fun and safe Memorial Day weekend. Curtis will be back later with me this week. Hopefully, we might have some very good news to discuss if things go down the way that I'm hearing they're going to go down. I don't want to say anything else right now. I think a lot of you probably know what I'm referring to. But I don't want to jinx anything. I think what I'm saying right now is probably too much. I'm probably jinxing it there. But hopefully we'll have uh, some some very, very good news to discuss. Maybe an emergency podcast. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how things go down. I think there might be a good chance of that based off what I'm hearing. But have a great rest of your Memorial Day weekend, guys. I'm going to go spend the rest of the day with my family. Thanks for listening. I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>